0: Well, howdy folks. Hey, welcome to Grace. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this point in time and uh, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Uh, We're doing a short four or five week series called Money Wise, Uh, being wise with our money, learning God's wisdom about the subject of money from uh, one of his books of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. So uh, go ahead and grab uh, your Bibles. If you don't have your own, there should be some scattered in the pew back in front of you. If you don't have access to either of those, most of the text uh, should be up on our screen. Uh, we're going to be jumping around in the book of Proverbs, so just open up to Proverbs, and uh, then I'll give you time to get there. So Proverbs is where we're going to be. Uh, our sermon title this morning is uh, Money Wise Part 2, The Dangers The Dangers of Money. Last week, we talked about what is better than money. Uh, there are lots of things in the Proverbs that uh, God tells us, hey, there are more important things in life Than money. And we looked at several of those last week, things that are better than money. This week, we're going to look at things that are some of the dangers that are associated with our relationship with money. What are some of the things we need to watch out for according to the wisdom of the Proverbs, which is uh, sourced in God. So I trust that you're there in Proverbs. Let's pray, and then we'll dive right into Money Wise Part 2, the dangers of money. So if you would pray with me one more time. Father, we ask that you would be uh, with us during these next few minutes, that our praise, that our offerings, that our lives would be well-pleasing to you that you would uh, be with us this week, that you would help us, in particular as we want to know what you have to say about money in this wonderful book of wisdom that has tons of practical advice, uh, tons of practical commandments for us, things that uh, will help us be wise with our money so that we might live in a godly manner as it relates to the money that we have or the money that we're making, the money that we're spending, the money that we're saving, and the money that we're giving. Lord, we want to be wise in your Eyes. And so help us by the work of your Spirit, open our hearts, convict us where we are in sin, encourage us where we need encouragement, strengthen us where we are weak, and make us the kind of people that you want us to be, in particular as it relates to that which impacts all of us on a daily basis that is money. It's good, it's a good gift that you've given us, but it's not God. And so help us to use it rightly in the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said together. Amen. I want to begin with a story of two women, and uh, these two women uh, went to high school with one another, and through the years, kind of, uh, their relationship fell by the wayside. They had not seen or talked to one another uh, for quite some time, and at this party, they happened to run into one another, and so they uh, had their... their initial of uh, exchange of greetings, and "How are you and how's the family?" and how are the kids?" And uh, things uh, small talk that goes on, until so one of the women noticed that her friend was wearing what was an extraordinary diamond. It was beautiful and large, and she couldn't help but commenting, and she said, "You know, I just couldn't help but noticing that the, the ring on your finger is the most beautiful and the most enormous ring that I have ever seen." To which the other woman replied, yes, it's uh, certainly a, a, a big and expensive and unusual diamond. The friend's reply was, well, uh, where did you get it? What kind of diamond is it? And uh, the first woman said, well, it's, it's the Callahan diamond. Her friend responded, the, the Callahan diamond? I've never heard of that before. And she said, yes, it's, it's the Callahan diamond, and it comes complete with The Callahan curse. The Callahan curse, you say? What exactly is the the Callahan curse to which the first woman promptly replied, well, it's Mr. Callahan. As we get into Proverbs this morning, uh, we're going to see that Proverbs similarly warns us about money. And maybe like the Callahan diamond, Money can often comes with it comes it can come with its own potential set of curses, if you will. There are some dangers that are inherently associated with our use of money according to the scriptures. And while money certainly is a curse, there are dangers that are associated with it. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to jot down one through seven, seven things that we see in the Proverbs, seven dangers. Uh, about our relationship with money, and we'll make our way through each of those. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 15. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to begin with Proverbs chapter 15. There in verse 27, we find the first danger uh, that God gives us about the use of money, and that is greed. The first danger that pops out at you when you read through the Proverbs is that God warns us repeatedly about the danger of greed. Greed, which of course is an excessive desire for either more money or more things. And not only isn't is it an excessive desire to, to have more money or to have more things, but oftentimes greed is wanting more and more stuff or more and more money at the expense of others, or regardless of the cost. So whatever the cost, whoever I hurt, whatever the consequence. I will pursue having more money and more things. Proverbs chapter 15 begins with this warning of what greed can bring into our lives. Verse 27. It says the greedy the greedy bring ruin to their households. But in contrast, the one who the one who hates bribes will live. The one who hates bribes will live. Here, the idea of a greedy person is connected to the idea of one who is offering bribes or taking bribes. The greedy person takes bribes. However, the one who hates bribes will live. But what is the consequence of greed here in this proverb? It's pretty clear, right? The greedy have the potential to bring ruin, destruction, difficulty on their own household. There's another one. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28 towards the end of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 25 gives us another consequence of pursuing greed in our life. Not only will it, according to 1527, bring ruin, can bring ruin to our household, but it can also bring conflict. Chapter 28 verse 25 says this. It says, The greedy stir up what? Conflict. The greedy stir up conflict. But in contrast, those who trust in the Lord will prosper. I really like this passage, right? Because it compares the person who is greedy and what that can bring into our lives. It can bring conflict into our relationships. But in contrast to the one who is greedy, what should be our attitude towards money? What should we trust in? It says, but those who trust in the Lord those who have confidence in what God is bringing to them, those who have confidence in whatever God deems fit to provide for us financially, as opposed to greed, there is trusting in the Lord. But notice in these two passages, there are some firm warnings about what greed can bring into our lives. It can bring ruin on our own households. It can bring conflict in our relationships. How many families have been hurt? How many fathers have brought Ruin on their own households by being absentee just for the sake of greed, of pursuing just that extra dollar. How many families have been torn apart by the greed of their children as they fight over mom and dad's assets? How many families have been hurt by parents making unwise financial decisions because, in their greed, they make something that they want into something that they need, and they get themselves into financial ruin. What we need to pursue, as Paul says, is we need to pursue godliness with contentment. I love that phrase. Godliness first. We pursue living in light of God's standards. We want to be godly people, and we pursue godliness with contentment. You know, someone once asked the multi-billionaire John D. Rockefeller this simple question. And his answer, I think, is telling. And I think if we were honest, our answer might be very similar. But he, they asked him this question, How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? How much money is enough? And do you know what he said? One more dollar than I have. One more dollar. Just one more dollar than what I have. And so we have to ask ourselves, how much is enough? How much is enough for us? What level of income, what level of salary, what level of savings, what level of lifestyle, what, what is enough for us? So the first danger that we see as we make our way through the book of Proverbs is that greed, money can be used in a, pursued in a greedy way and it will bring ruin and stir up strife and conflict. So the first warning is greed. The second is related in its stinginess. It's being stingy. Hopefully, you're still there in chapter 28. Just look a few verses earlier. Chapter 28, verse 22. There in verse 28, chapter, uh, chapter 28, verse 22, we see this about the, the stingy person. It's, it says, The stingy person hastens after riches, but what? The, the stingy person hastens after riches and does not know that poverty will overtake him. There's, there's irony here, right? The irony is that the stingy person, which is, opposite of the generous person in in Proverbs. In Proverbs, there's the generous person and the stingy person, and they're often compared and contrasted. Here, the stingy person pursues riches and wealth, and they're working hard after it, but oftentimes, what happens? They don't know that what's gonna catch them from behind. Poverty might actually catch them from behind because they're being stingy, while in Proverbs, generosity. Being generous with our money in the book of Proverbs is one of the reasons, not only, but it's one of the reasons that God may choose to actually bless us with wealth. And we're going to see that here in the weeks to come. So the stingy person hastens after riches, but what might overtake them? Poverty. You know, I heard a story this week that I think is very fitting towards this. Uh, it, it's from Charles Swindoll, uh, one of my favorite pastor preachers in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. He, he writes this story, and I'd like to share it with you. He, he, he says this, "...men who trap animals uh, in Africa for a living and then take them to America say that the hardest animal to catch is the ring-tailed monkey." None of you probably have gone searching after the ring-tailed monkey, but here's here's how it goes. Uh, There's a local tribe, and they're called the Zulus, and this is what they do. This is how they catch them. They've been catching them for years, he writes. The method that the the Zulus use is based on knowledge of the animal. Now, their trap is nothing more than a simple melon that is growing on a vine, and the seeds of that melon are, are one of the favorite foods of this particular kind of monkey. And the Zulus know that they can catch him this way. They simply cut a hole in the melon that's just large enough for the monkey to insert his hand and to reach the seeds inside. However, the monkey then will stick his hand in and grab as many seeds as he can and then start to withdraw it. But this he cannot do, Swindoll writes. His fist is now larger than the hole. The monkey will pull and tug and screech and fight with the melon for hours. But he can't get free of the trap unless, unless he gives up the seeds, which he always refuses to do. Meanwhile, the Zulus simply sneak up and nab him. Church, I, I wonder if that's our attitude towards the money. I, that we have, I wonder if we uh, sometimes get our hands caught in the proverbial piggy bank. If it's difficult for us to to let it go, it's hard for us to be generous. It may appear in our giving to church or lack thereof. It may appear in our our hesitation to to spend money on things that that are even necessities in life, and yet we're hesitant to spend money. Maybe it even appears uh, in an excessive desire to save every dollar that we have. What we have in Proverbs, the second danger is that, as opposed to the generous person, Proverbs says, we have to be careful not to be like these monkeys, to clutch on to what we have and in the process bring about poverty on our own heads. So there's danger, there's greed. Number Number three, there's pride. Pride is also one of the dangers that Proverbs warns us about as it relates to money. There also, in chapter 28, just a few verses before, chapter 28, verse 11. There in chapter 28, verse 11, we see very clearly that one of the, and in my humble opinion, this is one of the biggest dangers of money, is pride. The text says this, A rich man may be wise, notice, in his own eyes a rich man may be wise in his own eyes but a poor man who has discernment sees through him the poor man has discernment and can see through the rich man who is puffed up who is conceited who thinks that he or she knows everything because they are wealthy dr dr thomas constable a uh, professor at Dallas Seminary, writes this about this passage. He says, pride and conceit frequently accompany great wealth. And how this is true. How this is true. Because we think that it's primarily, we think it's primarily our hard work and our good brains and our good business tuition and our determination that makes us the money ultimately, and not God providing wealth. We think it's because of what we've done. And there's, there's a danger, and the danger is that we think we have done well in the area of life, of money, of finance, of business, or in our job. And we think we've done well here, we've succeeded, and, and we think that we know what we're doing in this area of life, and so we must know what we're doing with our families And we must know everything about everything because we're doing well here, so we're proud, right? We're proud. Folks, we have to ask ourselves every now and then, has our wealth made us proud? Is there a haughty heart or is there a humble heart? Where do we think the money really comes from? Do we work hard? Yes. Are we smart? Maybe. Do we have intuition? Possibly. Are we determined? I hope so. But is that the ultimate source? Can we take pride in it? Or can we say, God, thank you for what you've done for us. I'm going to continue to work hard and do everything that I can. But ultimately, wealth comes from the Lord. Here's one way you can know if wealth has made you proud. Do you look at those around you, maybe in the community, maybe in another community, and they have less than you? And you say, I'm better than them smarter than them. I have worked harder than them. I know more than them. And maybe you have worked harder than them. And maybe you are smarter than them. And maybe you do know more than them. But what does that heart attitude indicate? It indicates that you are proud. A rich man may be wise in his own eyes. So folks, let's beware. Let's be weary of pride. Number four, Number four, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. So turn a little bit uh, backwards in your Bible, in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Proverbs 18, 10 and 11. And there in that verse, we find yet another danger of money. Proverbs is a very real book, and it speaks of very real dangers in our relationship to money. It's not evil at all, but evil. It has inherent dangers. Number four, the fourth danger, and we find it in Proverbs 18, 10 through 11, is what I will call having a, a false sense of physical security. A false sense of security, particularly physical security. I want to share a story with you before we get into that proverb. It struck me, and it's, a, it's, it's an excerpt from a book that's entitled, At Dawn... We slept. And there, the author Gordon Prange shares something that was written, now notice the date, it's important, on September 6th, 1941, regarding Pearl Harbor. September 6th, 1941, regarding Pearl Harbor. And I quote, the journalist wrote this on that date. A Japanese attack on Hawaii is regarded as the most unlikely thing in the world with, with one chance in a million of being successful. Now, here's the reason why. Besides having the most powerful defenses there under, under any American flag, it is protected by distance as well. Folks, what happened just a few months ago? Later, Of course, just three months and one day later, on December 7th, 1941, Japan successfully attacked Pearl Harbor. So let me ask you a quick question. I think this journalist and what he wrote shows us a little bit about where his sense of security came from. It came from number one, distance, which is reasonable. But it came from the second thing, which is that we have, quote, the more powerful defenses than any other post under the American flag. We have money. We have a, a very fortified post there. There was a sense of physical security that nothing could touch us there. And yet we know that that's not true. Too often, too often we think of money in this way. Too often we think that money can buy us absolute, and I use that term specifically, it can buy us absolute, ultimate security. And we turn to our money and the things that money can buy us, and instead of trusting in God, that money becomes our sense of physical security. Proverbs 18, let's turn there. Proverbs 18 verses 10 and 11 says this, The name of the Lord is a what? A fortified tower. It's a defense. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. But, verse 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Did you notice that? The wealth of the rich, that's their fortified city. Instead of the name of the Lord Being a fortified tower. And what happens? The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They, what's the word, church? Say it together. They, what? They imagine. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. What does that mean? That means that one of the dangers of wealth is that we think we can amass so much of it and we're building up brick by brick by brick by brick a tall tower to protect us from the outside world and we're adding bricks and bricks and bricks and we think that everything out there can't get in here, right? Because our our financial wall is so big, nothing can touch us and yet they imagine. What does that mean? That means it's not true. That means that it's imagined. It's not real. It's not really too high of a wall to scale. It cannot completely protect us from medical bills, it cannot completely protect us from bodily injury. It cannot completely protect us from maybe poor financial decisions that we make. It cannot completely protect us from a bad economy. It cannot ultimately protect us from a market crash. It can't ultimately protect us from those unexpected expenses. In contrast to the person who trusts in their riches is the person who runs to the name of the Lord and allow God's sovereign providence over our lives to be that fortified tower, to trust in what God is and allows in our lives, whatever it may be. So let me ask you a quick question, and it's a hard one. What do we trust in? Where do we ultimately get our sense of security? Security. Is it what you have in your 401k? Is it what you have in your savings account or your checking account? Is it the assets that you may have that are liquid and you can get to them quickly? What is it? Or is it the name of the Lord? Number five, there is yet another. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11. So turn with me a little bit more, a little bit to the left in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11. There in verse 4, we see the fifth danger. The fifth danger that God, in his wisdom, has told us to beware of. And it's not false physical security, but it's false spiritual security. Not only can money give us a sense of false physical security, but on occasion, if we're thinking wrongly about it, it can give us a sense of false spiritual security. Proverbs 11 says this, Riches do not profit in the day of what? In the day of wrath. Riches, our money, do not profit in the day of wrath. But what does? Righteousness. But righteousness delivers from death. I think it's very likely that the day of wrath here describes the day of that a person dies. I think it's very likely here that the day of wrath describes the day that we take our last breath and we enter into eternity. And if that is the case, what riches does not pro- on that day riches won't profit us anything, but righteousness does. Righteousness does. No amount of money will purchase us heaven. Only the righteousness of Christ that is given to us by faith in what He's done, which is what we're going to remember and celebrate in just a minute. You know, many in Jesus' day erroneously thought that wealth was a sign of both God's favor and salvation, they took it a step too far. Not only was it a sign of God's favor, but it meant God, if you are rich, God absolutely sets his favor upon you, and you will go to heaven. You will be okay. And Jesus kicked against that. He said that's that's not right. In fact, he told the parable that you're probably familiar with, with the rich man who is unnamed, and he ends up where? In hell. And there's a poor man whose name was Lazarus, and he ends up where? In heaven. And Jesus told that parable for many reasons, but particular to, to fight against this thought that just because you have money, that means that God has his favor upon you, which means you're going to go to heaven. And folks, that's not true. Many in our day also could possibly erroneously think that if they are wealthy, it's a sign that God has favor on them and they are, they are okay spiritually, I'm doing well in life. I must be okay spiritually. God must have his hand upon me. I must be okay with him. And in particular, if we are drawn to this idea of name it and claim it theology, which says God wants everybody rich, and therefore if you aren't rich, then God must not have his favor upon you or your faith is too little. And in that kind of theology, I could see very easily how having wealth could give you a false sense of spiritual security as opposed to having our faith in the righteousness that delivers us from death, which is the righteousness not of us, but of Christ. The righteousness of Christ alone. Robert J. Morgan has written a poem, and it's a short one, but it's great. And the the poem is entitled, Money Will Buy. He says this, Money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. Fine things, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not happiness. A crucifix, but not a savior. Religion, but not salvation. A good life, but not eternal life. A passport to everywhere but heaven. Folks, let's beware that money does not give us a false sense of spiritual security. Two more things, two more things. Proverbs chapter 19 is where I'd like for us to go next. So flip to the right now in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 6 and 7. There in Proverbs 19:6 and 7 we get our sixth danger. The sixth thing that God wants us to be aware of in our relationship to money. And I simply say that money can buy us more quote friends. Money can buy us more friends. Verse 6 <clears throat> Many many curry favor with a ruler. And everyone is the friend of the one who gives gifts. Isn't that true? The poor, however, are shunned by all their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. What this Proverbs is, is, is saying, this is a general truth that when there is a ruler, someone in, in charge with authority, people are going to curry favor, which literally means in Hebrew, to stroke the face. So that's the image. There's a powerful, rich person, and you are flattering them. You're, stro- you're beautiful. You are awesome. I love you. You're my best friend. You're stroking their face. It refers to blatant, insincere flattery. Wealth can, be, can bring people into our lives, and they don't want us. They just want a piece of us. We have to be careful, says Proverbs, for these kinds of friends. Maybe they're relatives or friends or neighbors who ask favors of you or to borrow money or, or just to be in your circle of, of friends to gain influence and in some manner of life. And Proverbs says that we have to be careful because along with wealth inevitably comes more, quote, friends. I, ran, I was reminded of this, this, this story, and it broke out several years ago, but... Um, Once upon a time, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. And uh, (laughs) I'm not anymore, just because I don't care about the NFL all that much. Uh, But once upon a time, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. And uh, a a few years ago, they drafted a rookie wide receiver out of Oklahoma State, and his name is Dez Bryant. And he was excellent in college. He was very good. And he was a high first-round draft pick. And he, in uh, in his rookie contract, they, you know how they do it. There's guaranteed money, and then there's like incentive money. And in his rookie contract, I think there was about $8 million of guaranteed money in his first season. So he signs with them up front, $8 million without ever playing it down. And during training camp, the story came on that some of the offensive players, you know, he's a wide receiver, and some of the offensive players were kind of, uh, the veterans were saying, hey, rookie, you just made a lot of money. Hey, take us out. That's what rookies do. If you sign a big contract, you take us out to dinner. So he, he, he did this, and he, he took them out to dinner. However, when he showed up at the restaurant, reports say that it wasn't just the offense that, that was there, but essentially the whole team. Uh, I guess word got around, and the defensive players, and the scout players and everybody who said, hey, I got a Dallas Cowboys jacket, I'm here, you know, everybody just showed up because they knew that the $8 million man was was paying. And uh, to make a long story short, um, he learned a lesson that night because he gained lots of friends. He gained lots of friends, and he paid roughly $55,000 on one meal. That's a nice meal. So Proverbs says, beware. I doubt any of you are signing a contract for $8 million. Although if you are, I hope you do, and I hope you tithe. That'd be great. But, you know, if you're not, (laughs) we probably won't have this kind of pressure. But we have to be careful. Number seven, the last thing. The last danger that Proverbs gives us, and this is, I don't know if it's the most important, but it's very important. Proverbs chapter 30. So turn to the very end of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. Proverbs 30, close to the end, verses 8 and 9, gives us the last danger, and that is spiritual insensitivity. Being spiritually insensitive or hardened towards the need of God in our lives. Verse 30, we'll read verses 8 and probably the first half of 9. Here's the context. There is the author here of Proverbs chapter uh, 30 is the sayings of a guy whose name is Agur or Agur, A-G-U-R. And he writes this proverb, uh, Proverbs chapter 30. And it's interesting because what he does is he is kind of offering a prayer to God and he's asking God not to give him too much or too little, but just to meet his daily needs, right? Just like Jesus said, Give us our daily bread. He says, God, don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. But particular as it relates to God not giving him too much, he he gives us the reason. And it's this. He says, listen, God, if you give me too much, I fear that I will deny my need for you. That I will say, I don't need you, God. Verse 8, he prays this. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Here's the reason, verse 9, in particular as it relates to riches. Otherwise, I may have too, what? Much. Otherwise, I may have too much. And what is the danger, one of the dangers of having too much? I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Here's the way it works. We think that we, because we don't have any needs in the physical realm, our mortgage is paid off, we have a nice house, we got some nice cars, the kids have everything they need, we're eating good food, uh, our 401k is, is looking pretty nice, and uh, the bank account's okay, and we've got, you know, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Whether you're a mega rich person or you're just, you know, kind of above the poverty line, you're doing okay. Maybe you're wealthy, and the danger is that we can say, God, I'm doing, I'm doing okay in the physical realm. I can handle it. I've, I've got it down. I don't, don't know. I'm okay here. So why do I need you in the spiritual realm? I'm doing okay in life. Why do I need you? Why do I need you to tell me what to do? Why do I need to submit to your lordship? Why do I need salvation? This life is, is pretty good. I had a grandfather pass away um, several years ago, and uh, he was, I, he was great. I love, I love my grandpa, and uh, called him, his, his, his first name is Merrill, which is my middle name, and uh, we've, we call him, I would call him Grandpa Tiller, because when I was little, every time I go to see him, he seemingly was tilling his garden. That's what he loved to do, he used to be tilling his garden. I said, Grandpa Tiller, Grandpa Tiller. So he's Grandpa Tiller in my mind. He as far as I know, he was one of the kindest guys, gentle, loving, faithful. He was just, I couldn't think of maybe a better grandpa. He was, he was, he was great. And yet, time after time, when mom would, would share with him, would share the gospel with him, and they went to church when the kids were young, when my mom was young, and the kids move out of the house, and you know how it goes. There's no, really, no need to go to church when kids are out of the house, and um, we would invite him to church specials and songs and musicals and different things, you know, so we could know that he, he would hear the gospel. and we'd, Mom would talk with him and, and ask him those questions. And, and he would say that, that he was a believer, and, and maybe he is. I don't know. Um, maybe he is. I, I don't know. But one of the things that I, I, I kind of see in, in hindsight is, I wonder, he wasn't extremely wealthy. He wasn't like a millionaire or anything. But he was well off, and uh, they never had lack of anything. Um, And I just wonder, you know, I wonder if this is what was going on in his heart. God knows. I don't know. And I wonder if that's what's going on in your heart. I wonder if that's what is festering in, in in our lives, if we are doing well in life. Friends, let's... Let's not allow money to make us spiritually insensitive. So we're gonna close by taking communion and we're gonna remind ourselves that we need God. Regardless of what we have, we can never say who is the Lord as if we don't need him because what communion reminds us of is that we need him desperately and what we need him most Primarily, the, the primary need we have is for him to save us from our sins. The Bible teaches us that we are born sinners and that we sin in our action and in our deed and that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so though we are Born sinners, we need saving. God loved us enough to send his son into the world to pay the penalty for our sins and to rise from the dead so that we might have new life now and eternal life forever. And when we, when we take the, the bread and we are reminded when we break that, that Christ's body was broken. And when we take the juice, we're reminded that his blood ran red for our sins. And if you're here today, and you don't know that you're a Christian, you don't know um, if you are are born again, that you're right with God through faith, not through anything you could ever do on your own, but simply through trusting what Jesus has done for you, then I'm going to pray right now, and you pray with me. And for the rest of us, if you know that you are a Christian, then I invite you, I invite you to partake, to remember what Christ has done, to give thanks to him, to confess our sins, and to be reminded of this amazing grace that God would love sinners like us and send his son to die for us. And we remember that, and we rejoice, and we thank God in it. So let's pray. Father, if there's a man, woman, a boy, or a girl, and they're here today, and they are spiritually insensitive towards you, maybe it's because of money or maybe it's because of a multitude of things, but they know in their hearts that their attitude is, Lord, I don't need you. God, open their eyes to help them see that they desperately need for you and your son to be their savior. May they pray in their hearts, God, I am a sinner. I need you. I stand under your judgment and your rightful justice. And I have no hope on my own of being good or righteous or making it into heaven but I throw all of my hope and confidence in what Christ has done as we remember what he's done partaking in these elements and I trust in him and in him alone to make me right and righteous and to get me to heaven forgive me for my sins come into my life and I want you to be not just my savior but my my Lord and I want to follow you all the days of my life if you've done that for the first time then come talk to me And if you've done that for the first time, then please feel free to partake of the elements. And for those who know that they have done that, Father, we remember what you have done by sending your Son. It's in his name we pray. And when you're ready to come partake, feel free. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. the Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me